be reading um, in 2 Timothy, that's on page 1195 of the Church Bibles. So it's 2 Timothy in chapter 1, and I just want to read um, from verse 3 down to verse 10. So verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us, and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We'll end our reading there. In our Church of Prayer meetings over the past number of months, we've been thinking about verses in the Bible, all of which have the words, but now. The writers in question have used the phrase to introduce a new thought or to give emphasis to their reasoning. Before we look in more detail at verse 10, the verse that contains this phrase this evening, let's briefly consider the context in which the verse sits. For only then can we see how important it is in what Paul is trying to say. This is Paul's second letter to Timothy, and it is clear from reading them both that some time has elapsed between the two. Paul is writing not from home, but chained up in a Roman prison. In all likelihood, he's not in one of Rome's main prisons, for later in chapter one, he says that Onesiphorus, one of his fellow workers, had to search hard to find him so he is most likely chained up in some out-of-the-way part of the city. Not only that, but Paul is all but alone. Three times in this short letter, he mentions the names of people who have deserted him, and only Luke is now with him. And if all that wasn't bad enough, Paul knows that he has little prospect or hope of ever being released. Turn with me just over to chapter 4, And verse 6, Paul writes, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. So in such dire circumstances, shackled in the squalid conditions of a Roman prison, isolated and unsupported, and facing execution at a time and a date that he has no party to, he sends this letter to Timothy not to complain about his circumstances, 
not to demand that Timothy fight for his release, but to strengthen and embolden his young colleague, one of his closest companions. Paul, above else, wants to ensure that the work of the gospel he, that he has devoted his life to since his conversion on the Damascus Road is going to continue. This is an intensely personal letter. It's written with great affection. Um, if you note with me in verse 2, Paul calls Timothy my dear son. In verse 3, he says, I constantly remember you in my prayers. In verse 4, he says that I, would, uh, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And one of the main reasons for the letter, which we learn near the end, is to urge Timothy to leave Ephesus and to come to Rome and to do so quickly, especially before winter sets in and travel becomes almost impossible. Paul even asks Timothy to bring one of his cloaks and some of his scrolls. The recipient of the letter is Timothy, a talented young teacher and preacher who was entrusted by Paul to look after a church in Ephesus, but who is now facing opposition from false teachers who we learn in chapter two have wandered away from the truth and have destroyed the faith of some. Paul fears that this gifted young man might be in danger of giving up under such pressure. So now let's look more closely at the verses under consideration. So having reminded Timothy in verse seven that God has given him a spirit of power, of love and self-discipline, Paul encourages him in verse eight that he should therefore not be ashamed to speak out about the Lord Jesus. Or indeed, he shouldn't be ashamed of Paul's situation in prison. Perhaps it was for that very reason that others had left Paul's side thinking that he had somehow brought shame and dishonor not only on himself, but also on the Lord he served. And then Paul goes further, inviting Timothy to suffer with him for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. Paul reminds him that although he may feel under pressure, although he might naturally want to walk away from the opposition he's facing, God will give him the courage and the strength and the power he needs. But note that Paul doesn't dilute his message to Timothy, staying loyal to Paul and to the gospel message in the context of a culture which is against it will only be accomplished with God's power. And then just to emphasize this, Paul reminds his younger son in the faith of what is at the very heart of the gospel message and where he stands as a Christian. Look with me at verse nine. God has saved us saved us from the consequences of our sin, saved us from eternal separation from him, saved us from hell. And also that God has called us, called us to a holy life. For each of us here this evening who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that call has not changed. God has called every Christian to a holy life characterized by those who are known for our loyalty to Christ and of standing out from the tide of contemporary thought. This is the price, Paul says, that we are all expected to pay. It wasn't an easy message then, and it's not today. He goes on, we didn't or couldn't or can ever do anything that would earn our salvation. No amount of good works could ever save us. That's what Paul says. No, 
we were saved and called, at the end of verse 9, because of God's own purpose and grace. The fact that God chooses us for salvation, irrespective of our own unworthiness to receive it, is incredible news. And if that wasn't enough, Paul says to Timothy, God's grace, which brought you to faith, that same grace was given to you in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That is a concept as creatures bound by time that we find hard to grasp. There was a time when time didn't exist. So we ask the question, why did God give grace to Timothy before the world was formed? Paul says here that long before Timothy existed, Christ Jesus did. Why was it so important for Timothy to be reminded of this at a time when he was facing such opposition? Paul wants him to see clearly that the message that he has been charged with proclaiming is no small matter, that his salvation and his ministry was part of God's master plan, but also that God's plan has a focus, and that focus is Christ Jesus. Verse 10, let's read it together. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And here we come to the climax of Paul's train of thought. But now this grace has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. This eternal grace concealed in part since the dawn of time, has now been fully revealed. It has been uncovered, it's been made known, and it's been made known in a person, in the incarnate Son of God, and most importantly, on his saving work accomplished on the cross. The cross is at the very center of God's eternal plan. Look with me at what was achieved at the cross. Paul mentions two things in this verse. Jesus destroyed death. What does that mean? People still die, don't they? At the core of the gospel message is the fact that the eternal Son of God left the glory of heaven, that he took the nature of a servant, that he became a man, that he humbled himself and became obedient to death. But not for his sins, but for the sins of the world. One writer puts it like this. Jesus absorbed all the venom of the sting of death so that there was none left to distress the souls of his people so that for us who have put their trust in him, death is without sting, without curse. And it is that truth that every Christian here this evening should rejoice in. Death has been defeated. Secondly, through his resurrection and through his death and resurrection, Jesus has brought life and immortality to light. The tremendous news of the gospel is that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised but would never die again. But more than that, his promise was that those who believed in him would share in that immortality. Jesus himself said it. John chapter 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives in me and believes in me will never die. So, Timothy, Paul will go on to say, this is the incredible message that I was appointed to teach. 
That's why I'm suffering. But am I, am I ashamed of it? No, not at all. Guard these truths, Timothy. Guard them with the help of the Holy Spirit. Be strong and find courage in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and pass on these things to reliable men who themselves will be qualified to teach others and in that way, God's kingdom will grow. Preach the word, Paul says. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Finally, how can we apply this passage this evening? How can these verses inspire our prayers? If you're a Christian here, do you live in the knowledge that God has a plan and a purpose for your life? A plan that was conceived in eternity past, that was revealed in Jesus Christ, and that promises immortality to all who believe? Does that give you and me confidence to stand up for our faith, to speak out for Jesus? Do we rejoice in the truth that Jesus abolished the fear of death once for all time? Does it fill our hearts with thanksgiving that the fear of death has been removed, that when we die, we are not propelled into God's courtroom, but into his very presence forever? Or perhaps you are by nature someone like Timothy, under pressure and ready to throw in the towel. Are you anxious about what people might say if you share the gospel message? Let's each of us take heart this evening from Paul's reminder that God has given all of us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Ask God for courage to speak out for him no matter what the consequences might be. And then last but not least, thank God for what Jesus has accomplished for each of us when he died at Calvary. Amen.